Okay, we're going to be taking a look at Luke, a look at Luke, and we're in chapter 8, if you have a Bible with you. If you don't, don't worry, the words will be on the screen. Um, but while you are turning up the book of Luke to chapter 8, we're going to send up a quick prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, we are here to meet with you. And so, Father, we pray that as we come and we gather around your word, that you will continue to give us an awareness of your presence. Jesus, will you meet with us this morning? Amen. Right. I might need a wee bit of light up here. Can, is that doable? Getting a wee bit of light because I am old and rusty. Right. Look, chapter 8, verse 40. Hold on tight. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had only one daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all had denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are surrounding you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people that she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when they came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said to her, do not, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. Taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her, something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is a great a great picture of Jesus painted here by, by the evangelist Luke as he tells us what's going on. Luke chapter 8 is a chapter worth reading because there's a lot of stuff going on there. This is the chapter where Jesus he calms the waves. This is the chapter where Jesus casts out the demons from the Gennesaret man, the man from Gennesaret. Um, it's where the pigs are there and the pigs go. So a really great chapter to read. There's a lot going on. And those... Those two stories really set up the context for the next, for the next encounter of Jesus with the, the woman with the issue of blood. I'm going to find it really hard not to call her that bleeding woman. So if I do, just bear with me, right? So, so Jesus has the encounter with the bleeding woman and with, and with Jairus and Jairus' daughter. So it's worth looking at. And what's really interesting is that as Jesus comes off the boat, coming back from the other side of the lake, the Gentile side of the lake, Jesus comes off the boat. There's a welcome crowd already waiting for him there. The crowd's following Jesus. Everywhere Jesus goes, there's a multitude. And it's almost like this reception committee is there, this welcome crowd waiting for Jesus to come off the boat. Jesus is the traveling teacher who almost has the pop star status. 
Everywhere he goes, people are there just to get a little piece of the action, just to get a glimpse of him. You see it happening over and over and over again. People wanting to get a little piece of Jesus. You know, people turning up with their camels to be signed by Jesus or whatever they, they got signed in those days. That's the picture that Luke is painting for us. And in the middle of this, out comes this religious leader from the crowd. And he would have been revered. He would have been known by everybody there because he was a man of standing. He was a familiar face. He would have been there at most public and civic ceremonies. He would have been a pretty much part of, part of life. You know, when, when, when Sammy Wilson walks through Carrick, you know who he is, right? Everybody knows who he is because he's a familiar face. And there would have been a particular, this would have been the same sort of context uh, for Jairus. Uh, a man of authority, a man of influence, a man who was revered and respected by his community. He was known. And he comes to Jesus. And he falls at Jesus' feet. When have you known a man of influence? Can you picture Donald Trump falling at anybody's feet? That's what's happening here. This guy is someone to be reckoned with and he comes out of the crowd and he humbles himself and he falls at the feet of Jesus because he knows his wealth is going to bring nothing to this situation. He knows his popularity brings nothing to this situation. He knows his standing and his influence bring nothing to the situation he finds himself in. And so he comes to an end of himself, he comes to an end of his resources, and he falls at the feet of Jesus in total surrender, in total humility, and totally dependent upon what Jesus can do for him. It was really hard to get a picture of someone who would communicate the message of the kind of way this man was revered. This, this, you know, it's so easy to look at the Pharisees or, or the religious rulers of Jesus' day and see them as cold and austere and, you know, just control, legalistic control freaks. But that's not the picture of Jairus. Jairus was probably a loved man. He probably would have been viewed as, not as a Trump, but as a JFK, as a Martin Luther King. I really struggled to get more sort of local examples, but I, I couldn't think of a politician that we liked. I couldn't. If you know of one, let me know. Um, but here he was, rich, popular, loved, respected, well-known, a holder of the hegemony. That's a weird word that means he sort of had the world at his feet. He called the shots, if you like. And he has a girl a daughter of 12 years old, and she's sick. I, I had heard this story many times, but it's not until you hear it as a parent that you realize just how that can chill the heart. And I, I, I probably can't access it. I'm a parent of two boys, and I, I don't have a daughter. And, and, and I, so I mean, maybe there's another level. But if you're in that zone, you, you can relate, can't you? It's always sad to see a child sick this this girl is dying and so this parent comes to an end of himself and he throws himself in jesus feet and he's like can can you help me so it's tugging on the heartstrings and the situation is desperate and the picture, the context is the crowd pushing in on Jesus and everybody wanting a piece of him. You can almost hear the sounds and, and feel the heave of the crowd and, and in the heat of the day and the, 
sweat of the moment. And from the edge of the crowd comes this woman, and she crawls her way in to where Jesus is at the center of this scrum. And she grabs the fringe of his garment. Jairus is on his feet. Jairus is on his knees at the feet of Jesus, and the woman is on her knees at the feet of Jesus, both desperately clinging to the hope that Jesus can bring to the situation, both at a loss and at an end of themselves. Now, this woman would have been known as well. She would have been someone who the community recognized because we are told that whenever a woman is in the situation that this lady's in, there's a, there's a context there's conditions. And she has been bleeding for 12 years. The, the, the same amount of time that Jairus' daughter has been alive, this, this lady has been bleeding. And we, we don't really know what the bleeding was, but there are clues in the text. It was probably a menstrual bleed for 12 years, ladies. 12 years. That's a long time. But it's not, just, it's not just the physical cramping for 12 years. That, that's, that's, not, that's the tip of the iceberg. The context that this lady finds herself in, that because she has a bleed of that nature, the Mosaic law says she's unclean. She cannot be touched. 12 years, no human contact. Not touched for 12 years. We don't know if she has children. We don't know if she has a husband. We, we, we're, it's pretty certain she has a family because she's there. 12 years. She hasn't been touched. Can you access what that feels like? Twelve years she's been avoided because not only is she unclean, anything that she touches is unclean. If she sits on a seat, no one else can sit on it. Do you remember in my school days there were people who would have touched you and you would have went, oh, right? We do that as kids, but she's living that. Anything she touches, people don't want to be near. She's walking down the street and people are crossing the road. And they're mumbling, that's, that's, that's her there, that's the one. She's the one. She's the unclean one. She's the one. Everybody knows what her problem is. You know that awkward moment that you have at the doctor's reception when the receptionist asks you, what's the problem? It's ble bleeding hemorrhoids, you know. And everybody, the whole, everybody's listening. You're like, you feel that embarrassment. 12 years she's lived that embarrassment, as everybody knows. And people who don't know are informed by the people who do know. Can you put yourself in the position that this lady finds herself in? 12 years of avoidance, 12 years of whispering, 12 years of no physical contact, contact 12 years of name-bearing, carrying the burden of the, that name. That's her. She's the one with. 12 years of being defined in that way, owning the definitions of others that she has no control over. Mark says that she had suffered under many physicians. Luke says she'd spend all her money on doctors. She's desperately looking for a way out. She's desperately looking for an answer, and she spent all her money. She's running out of options. She's suffered under the quacks. And so she comes to an end of herself and she throws herself at the feet of Jesus and she touches him. You know, we, we know the Babylonian Talmud is a collection of teachings that would have been contemporary with Jesus and actually probably 
Nehemiah. And, and the doctors of their day had a number of remedies, small r, for people in her condition. One of the remedies was to get, to find a Persian onion. Now we're in Jerusalem here. Persia's Iraq, that's a walk. Um, find a Persian onion and, and to boil it in wine and to make her drink the juice of the, a drink of onion wine. Hmm. But Persian onion wine, you've got to go get your Persian onions first. You, you get them in Sawyer's, I think. And, and, the, and what she got is she's got to drink the, the, the onion wine. And as she's drinking the onion wine, someone has got to shout at her, Bleeding cease! And, and that should work. If it doesn't work, there's 11 other remedies that you can try. Another one is to go to a crossroads and just give her wine. We better Pinot Grigio, take her to a nice crossroads, somewhere that she likes to go, right? We Merlot, you sit there, sip your wine in the sun, you're at the crossroads, we're, we're just going to go this way, you enjoy your wine, okay? We'll be back, maybe midday, but you drink your wine. And while you're backing off and she's sipping her wine, somebody comes from the other crossroads, sneaks up behind her, and while she's taking a sip, you know, of her Merlot, somebody goes, bleeding face! And that scares the bleeding away. It's ridiculous. But this is what she's been doing. One, here's my favorite. To eat a barley grain from the dung of a white donkey. You've got to find a white donkey that's been eating barley, and then you've, you've got you to wait. <laughs> you've got to wait, Annie. And once the waiting's over, you've got to sift. And then you've got to eat it. And if, if you're not sick, if you keep it down, you'll be healed. Keep it down for one day, your, your bleeding will stop for one day. Keep it down for two days, your bleeding will stop for two days. Keep it in, I should say, not just down, in for three days, then the bleeding will stop altogether. Do you see the desperate hopelessness of the situation that she finds herself in? And all her human friends are giving her solutions like this. Watchman Nee is one of my favorite authors, and he tells a story of when he was walking along a beach whenever he was a younger man, and he was with his friend who was renowned for being a, a, a world-class swimmer. They're walking along the beach with his athletic swimmer friend, and as they're walking along, he sees a man struggling, and Nee says to his swimmer friend, is this guy okay? And the guy looks at him, I don't look okay. And the guy goes onto the water, and Nee says to the guy, well, you... you you can swim. You're a better swimmer than me. You can go and get him. He says, yeah, yeah, I can save him. And the guy's coming up and trying to take in a breath, and he's struggling and splashing about. And he says to his friend, well, are you going to go save him? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'll probably go. I'll probably go save him. And the guy's going down for a second time, and he's like, well, now's a good time. For No, no, I've got, we've got time yet. It's okay. He's only going down twice. And he's like, what are you doing? And as the guy's down, going down for the third time, then the swimmer takes off his top and goes out and pulls the guy in. And when he comes in, resuscitates the guy, and he's like, what are you thinking? Why would you be so cruel? Why would you let him go down for the third time? And the swimmer's friend says, he needed to stop struggling before he would allow me to save him. He had to come to an end of himself before he would stop resisting me and allow me to save him. And that is exactly where both of these people are. And this woman who's been bearing the name for 12 years, who has touched Jesus' garment, 
realizes that. And Jesus, when she touches him, Jesus says, who touched me? I love Luke's understatement. When everybody had denied it. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> Where did we start here? The crowd was pressing in on him. And Jesus says, who touches me? And everybody was, no me, no me, I was nowhere near. I was just here for a bottle of milk. I was going for a loaf at the time. I didn't even want to get involved in this. And before you know it, I'm getting accused of touching. And Jesus says, I want to know who touches me. And Peter turns to Jesus and Peter says, Lord, the camels are here to be sat. Everybody's touching you. No one is not touching you. And Jesus says, no, but someone touched me. I felt power go out from me. And she knows that he knows and she stands up and she says, I touched you. And the entire crowd look at that woman and say, it's her. It is her. She has touched him. And she knows that Leviticus law means that she has made Jesus unclean by touching him. And now Jesus has to go for a ritual cleansing. Now Jesus needs to go to the temple, have his hands washed repeatedly by the priests with different kinds of vessels. And he needs to go for a ceremonial bath. And he needs to make a sacrifice, which he probably has to go and get and then bring back to the temple. And then he has to wait to evening. And this girl is lying on her deathbed and she doesn't even care. She's just full of her selfish self. And she's touching Jesus. And Jesus looks at her. And everyone's thinking, what about the daughter of Jairus? This guy we love, this guy who's helped our community, this guy of standing, this guy we adore. His daughter and that woman. And Jesus looks at that woman and he says, daughter. Because she's a daughter too. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Not superstition. Not magic. Not what other people think are a good idea. Not even your own efforts. Not the works that you have put in. Your faith in me is what's made you well. Go. Jesus is drawing attention to her. She doesn't want the attention brought to her. It's the last thing she wants. And what do you think Jairus is doing while this is happening? His daughter is on her deathbed. Is he, yeah, Jesus, is a really good time to do this. Can you imagine what you would be like? You're like, come now. Imagine you phone an ambulance and the paramedic says, I, I will be there. There's a thing I need to do once I get there. You'd be like, no, now. But Jesus knows that she is vulnerable, desperate, and pitiful. Jesus knows that he is hurting and full of urgency. And Jesus knows he says to her, Jesus knows he needs to say to her daughter, be bold, step up. Let it be known. And Jesus knows he needs to say to him, Jairus, be calm, have faith, just trust. Do you hear this? Have we stood in front of Jesus and said, Jesus, move on this one. Come on, Jesus, let's get this one done. We gotta go. And Jesus is saying, just wait. Have faith. Trust me. But in the meantime, Jesus is saying, I would like to draw attention to this. And we're like, please don't draw, please don't draw attention to that. 
Jesus is like, this is what I think we need to deal with. I would like to draw attention to this. Is the Spirit speaking to you? Jesus knows what needs attention drawn to it and what needs moved on. And Jesus doesn't say to Jairus or the daughter, I want you to go to church. I want you to be good. I want you to be nice. I want you to be obedient. Jesus doesn't say, I want you to pack in the internet habit you have. I want you to pack in the issues that you're dealing with. He doesn't, there are no preconditions. He just does. And he doesn't go for the ceremonial cleansing. He just goes. Just so you know, Ian, I have no idea where I am either. <laughs> I, I don't know. Anyway, let's go, to, let's go to slide 16. And someone comes to the Jairus and says, don't trouble the master anymore. Because they know the, the Levitical law declares that Jesus has got to go to the temple and do all that stuff. They know Jesus hasn't got time now to go and do that and heal her. So they come to Jesus and Jairus and they say, Look, do you know what? don't even bother, she's dead. And Jesus is deliberately ambiguous, and he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping. In fact, he doesn't say she's not dead. He says she is sleeping. There's an ambiguity there, and there's a reason that Jesus does that. That's for another day. But he walks in to where the girl is, and he says, child, arise. And her spirit returns. And then Jesus says... Get her something to eat. All those wailers and mourners out there who are grieving and yelling, who are convinced that I'm wrong and that she's dead, they were professional mourners. They knew what dead people looked like. Give her, go and get her a Big Mac and fries because dead people don't need Big Mac and fries. Get her something to eat. And Jesus demonstrates his authority over the ultimate enemy and raises the child from the dead. So at the beginning of Luke chapter 8, Jesus is calming the storm. He casts out the demons. At the end, he heals the sickness. And he deals with the ultimate enemy, death. Here's the thing. This is a picture of what is to come. Right now, Jesus is not going to take away the storms in our life. But he will walk with us through them. He will take us through the storm. Because there's coming a day when all of these things will cease. Revelation 21 verse 3 says, Behold, the dwelling place of, place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And I want to ask us this morning, are we, are we in need of receiving a touch? Are we in need of a touch from Jesus? Well, then there's a number of things we need to be aware of. Stop struggling. Come to an end of yourself. It's faith that's made you well. Not your own efforts. Not the good ideas of others. We need to come to an end of ourselves. Realize that the healing that we need comes from faith alone in Christ alone. And let's allow Jesus to deal with the issue. Let's allow Jesus to draw attention to what needs attention drawn to it. 
and let's allow Jesus to move on what needs to be moved. Let's not us write the agenda. Let's him. Because his power is absolute and his grace is sufficient. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you know what we need more than we know. Jesus, thank you that you minister to our needs more than we will ever know. Lord Jesus, bring us to a place where we are at an end of ourself, at your feet, and have no other option but faith in you. Amen.